Wiggle Water Gang. This is Historical AF. I'm Kina. And this is Diane of the History Goes Bump podcast. We are two history podcasters bringing you these spooky and weird historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. This is Theme Parks Part 1. Ooh. <gasps> I'm so excited. <laughs> I love theme parks. It is my favorite pastime. <laughs> It is mine too. Unfortunately, as I've gotten older, riding on roller coasters doesn't really agree with me as much anymore. So I mostly watch people riding the roller coasters. Some of them are so aggressive (laughs) that it's like almost painful. So it's fun. I'm one of those people I'm terrified in line and I'm like, oh God, we're going to die. I'm going to fall out. My head's going to get chopped off. But once I'm on it, it's amazing. And afterwards I'm like, woo, let's do it again. But the, yeah, see, I'm good after. It's it's the before you get all psyched out and then you're on it and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to barf. And then you get <laughs> off and you're like, wow, that was really cool. And then later you do barf and then you're like, maybe it wasn't so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, I hate some of the ones where it's like just a lap bar and you go upside down because then I'm just like, oh, I'm going to fall out. And, and yeah, a little dramatic. And my husband doesn't help because we went, our honeymoon was Disney World and Universal. And we're at Universal, I think, and it was like the Rocket Rockin' Roller Coaster or something. It's one where it's just like a lap bar and you're just flipping upside down and stuff. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't look safe. And then we're sitting in line and he was like, oh, is that a screw that just fell out? And then they have a sitting down. I'm like, why did you say that? And then my anxiety is all like, you're going to die, Keenan. Today is it. Hope you enjoyed your honeymoon because it's over. <laughs> and then the arm flips up and they're like, hey, we need you guys to get off of like the ride. And I was like, oh, my God, was it? But it was actually lightning. So. I didn't have to write it, but he, I was like, I hate you. (laughs) I love you, but I hate you. (laughs) Worst. He does it everywhere we go. I'm like, I can't stand this. You're like, that's a good way to not get me on a ride. Yeah. I've never backed out, but there's been a few times where I'm like, I don't think I want to. (laughs) I've been on, um, in Arkansas and hot springs, there's the magic springs. It's not, not great. So we went to the Halloween thing and we were on this one thing where it, kind of like momentum where it goes up and then up and then it just goes higher until you start doing circles and stuff well it fell off the track like one wheel did so it just we were just doing the back and forth thing for like 15 minutes and i was like i'm gonna barf if they don't stop this thing (laughs) but they had to make it swing until it caught the brake thing again and they could stop it but i was like i'm done let's let's never do this again Yeah, I uh, my brother-in-law was riding one of those. It's called the Spider. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those. And it was at one of these little traveling carnival type things. And it has, they call it Spider because it's got these eight tentacles that come out. And then they have these little cars on them. And as you, you sit two people to them, and then it kind of rotates around. And then the whole thing goes around. So you're spinning individually oh, yeah. and the whole thing moves. Well, there's broke. And it was like, it was spinning like crazy. And I mean, he was yelling, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw up. Stop the ride. Stop the ride. And people are screaming. And the guy who was operating it, I don't know if he was talking to some chick or something. (laughs) And I mean, it just was going like crazy. And my poor brother-in-law, when he got off that thing, he was really sick. And it took him a few days to finally get kind of evened out because it was just so much centrifugal force. That's awful. (laughs) But for the most part, they're the good outweighs the bad. I, I don't think yeah. I do fair rides anymore. Now that I'm older, I have a lot of self-preservation. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't want to be on anything that was just built in like a day. I'd rather go somewhere else. So tell everybody about your podcast. Well, the tagline for the podcast is ghost tours for the theater of the mind. And I chose theater of the mind because for people who don't know, old time radio used to call itself the theater of the mind because they would do plays and things like on there. 
And I love doing ghost tours. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to do a podcast, I want to do a podcast that's like a ghost tour. And since it's on the quote unquote radio, it's like the theater (laughs) of the mind. And so basically what we cover is haunted history. We always start each show talking about the history, because if you don't know the history of a location, you will not understand the hauntings and you won't have anything to verify those hauntings by. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about the ghost stories and such. And I'm not like your husband, but I am <laughs> skeptical. And so I call myself an open-minded skeptic. So I don't go into a place, even if I've been told that it's haunted and think, oh, there's going to be ghosts all over this place. I usually try to debunk everything and try to explain it away before I believe it. So we always end each episode with, is this such and such location haunted? That's for you to decide. So we always just leave it up to the audience for them to decide if they think it's haunted or not. That's amazing. It's always good to have a good healthy dose of uh, skepticism. Otherwise, you think every noise is a ghost. <laughs> exactly. Like the wind, the house creaking, like some things are not ghosts. And most of the time there is an explanation for something, but I've had enough weird stuff happen to me that I can't explain that I know it's something. Now, I don't necessarily say it's a ghost because I have lots of different theories about what something could be. It might be something in the space-time continuum that we're overlapping timelines and that woman in the period dress that you're seeing is seeing you in your parachute pants and wondering what you're wearing. (laughs) So I think it could be things like that. Maybe it's aliens. We know that ancient aliens built everything, apparently. So maybe (laughs) they're haunting us. I don't know. That's a running theme on this podcast is me raging about the aliens thing. I'm like, they're probing people, but they're not building shit. (laughs) Yeah, what happened to building pyramids? Now we're just getting anal probes. It's not right. (laughs) We got gypped in the future. (laughs) (laughs) What's probably the scariest of the episodes that you've done? Oh, wow. It's hard to say because I'm one of those people I don't really get scared easily. I've been into some of the quote unquote most haunted locations out there and had nothing happen or it's been really good interactions. I would say probably places that are asylums. So a Waverly Hills sanatorium, a Trans-Allegheny. Those to me are some of the more scary locations because you've got all different kinds of people that were in there. They may have just been sick. Some of them may have some form of mental illness. Some could have been criminally insane. And so you don't really know what you're going to get with an interaction there. So it could be something that's nice. It could be somebody who's confused. Maybe it's somebody who's psycho. You just don't know. That's amazing because my thesis in college was asylums. So you said asylum and I perked up. (laughs) That's my jam. It's the only thing I'm an expert in is Kirkbride asylums, which a lot of those were Kirkbrides. So. Yeah, absolutely. And they were built to be really great places. And I believe that at the heart of them, they were going to be that at one time. But the problem is, it was like anybody who had any issue with a family member, or maybe you had a disabled child you didn't want to take care of anymore. They just threw them in there. And it was just overcrowded very quickly. And you just didn't have enough staff. They didn't exactly understand mental illness back then. And so unfortunately, it just didn't work out. Yeah, like Arkansas, that asylum was like, let's put everybody in this asylum that only fits 350 people. (laughs) It was just like 50,000 people later, they're like, oh, no, we don't have enough money to take care of everybody. And it just started crumbling. But it's a it would be a spooky place because even with the best intentions, terrible things happen because people weren't getting the help. They were lonely. They were sad. They were Mm -hmm. some of people really were sick, but it was. And I'm sure their spirits are probably still restless being locked up. They creep me out, too. 
Yeah, and I mean, for women, uh, your husband could, maybe he decided that he was ready to move on and he could just have you locked up and you could never get out of there again. First superintendent of the lunatic asylum in Arkansas committed his wife. She was like the matron of the asylum. And then all of a sudden she's committed. I'm like, oh, that's shady, man. Super shady. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, there was, in order to get out of a lot of those places, you probably know this. I mean, they would have to get two people to sign for them. And, you know, how do you do that when you're inside an asylum? That's some wild, wild stuff. And you're in Florida. So there is a lot of spooky stuff. I went to St. Augustine and oh, I loved it there. It was so good. (laughs) My favorite city in the whole world. It's so beautiful. But it's also so old, and I love old places, but you could just feel the history. Oh, it's amazing. Yes, it and so you great. need to do the Dark of the Moon tour because you get to do a little investigating on your own in there. And I have Ooh. yet to go to that location without having something happen to me. We actually had a ghost lock us in the, to the lighthouse. <gasps> That's amazing. <laughs> yes. we, we did the Ripley's tour. So that bad. one's very good, too. I love that one. And you, you went into the auditorium then probably at night. Did you get a chance yeah. to go? Or mm-hmm. We went to some homesteady looking house and then we went to the fort. Okay. Oh, man. So we want to just jump right into it with your spooky since this is the, the episode right before Halloween. Yes. yes. And the place that I'm going to be sharing about is in West Virginia, which is a beautiful state. A lot of people make jokes about West Virginia and people marrying their cousins and things there, but it is beautiful to drive into. I I had some kind of weird thoughts about it before I I got there and we went up there to do a live show and we actually went to Point Pleasant where the Mothman is from. Yes. It was at this time of the year. So the trees were all changing their leaves. So it was just gorgeous. And uh, the name of this location is Lake Shawnee. Now it's no longer an amusement park. But it was at one time. But as I like to say on my show, we always got to go all the way back to what was on the land before anything else was there. Because that's you, you need to know that before you can figure out what hauntings are going on. And there was a lot of crazy stuff that happened on this land. First of all, it's, uh, it's, named, for La- it's named Lake Shawnee because the Shawnee Native American tribe had been on this land before. Okay. And... As happened a lot of times, you had some settlers who came in and decided that they wanted to settle in this place. And the first family that was here was known as the Mitchell Clay family. And they built a farm here. This is back in 1775. So it's, you know, right when we get ready to have the Revolutionary War happening. And this was a really large farm. It was 800 acres. Oh, wow. And I don't know if the Native Americans were upset about them being on this land or not. Because I believe that it's always a running joke that everything is on Native American burial grounds, and that's Mm -hmm. why it's haunted. But this literally was probably a burial ground at one time. So Mitchell Clay is there for about eight years, and all of a sudden this band of the Shawnee come along, and they killed two of his children, and they kidnap another one. Now, he must not have been at home at the time, because I think he would have put up some kind of a fight. So he gets home, he sees that two of his children are dead. So he gathers up a posse of men, some of his neighbors, and they go to see if they can find his son. Well, by the time they find his son, he's already been burned at the stake. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was was just awful. So they got into this fight and uh, they took out some of the Shawnee and stuff. And when you first hear stories like this, you assume, oh, that's probably a legend. 
because that's the way a lot of legends go. But there literally is on the land one of those white markers that you see all over the country that's one of those historical markers telling you this is what happened here. And it really did happen. So you've already got that bad blood going on this land. So not a really good way to start. So then I don't really know a lot about what happened through the 1800s. It probably passed through a lot of hands and a lot of different families probably lived there. Being that this was 800 acres of land, I'm sure it got broken up a lot over time so that it was smaller and smaller parcels of land. And you have this guy named Conley T. Snido that comes along. And he sees this and he's thinking, you know, I would really love to build, you know, this this wide open space. I want to put an amusement park in here. And this is back in the 1920s. So they're leveling out the land and they're getting it all set up. And he brings in all kinds of stuff. He's got a Ferris wheel. Now, back in the 1920s, I don't think I would have gotten on any of these things. No, no way. (laughs) If we're not crazy about traveling carnivals now, back then, no. Uh, They also had those swing rides. You know how you sit in a swing and it kind of takes you around. There's like multiple people on it. So he had one of those. There was a water slide, a dance hall, a speakeasy even. Because <laughs> this would have been during Prohibition time. So yeah. I don't know that a lot of people knew that the speakeasy was there. It was probably one of those buildings that you had to ask about from certain people to get into. Yeah. There was a pond on the property and he actually concreted it in so that it had kind of a concrete bottom to it. And then they also put in a swimming pool. And if you wanted to go in the swimming pool, there was a bathhouse there and you didn't have to bring a bathing suit with you. You could uh, rent one. Oh, no. Hard pass. (laughs) And these were wool bathing suits for 15 cents. So it was quite the bargain. Oh, wow. (laughs) Uh, He is the one who gave it the official name Lake Shawnee and it thrived for several decades. It did really well. And, um, Unfortunately, though, this was, again, back in a time when you'd have a lot of accidents, and we started having some accidents that are happening there. You've got the swimming hole. So you had some people who drowned. Uh, First, there were a couple of boys that drowned. I think one was in the pond, and then another was in the actual swimming pool. Three more people died in accidents. I'm not exactly sure what types of accidents, if it was also drownings or if it was on some of the rides. But then there was one that kind of put the kibosh on having this amusement park anymore. This was back in 1966. And you had this guy who was bringing in some fruit and some other food stuff. And he's in this big truck. You got the swing ride that was sitting right there. I don't know why this truck would be near the swing ride, but he didn't see it. And it was going, there was a little girl on it. He hits it. And fortunately this little girl was killed. Oh my God. Yeah. So at this point, You've got six people who have died at this amusement park. So it doesn't have a really good record going. Yeah, no, not at all. So for a lot of people, they said, you know what, this is it. Uh, We're going to have to shut you down. And so he was like, okay, we'll go ahead and and we'll shut it down. And then for 20 years, it just sat there abandoned. Nobody did anything with it. And then in the 1980s, this guy named uh, Gaylord White comes along and He's looking at it and he's thinking, you know, big open area. This would be a perfect place for a neighborhood. So they start leveling out the land too, only he's digging a little bit deeper than the other guy who had owned this before. And as they're digging, 
uh-oh, we're finding bones. Oh, no. So remember that Native American burial ground I mentioned earlier? Yeah. Yeah, 3,000 bodies are buried here. 3,000? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. So they call in, I think it was, uh, what was it, Marshall University. They call in their archaeology department because obviously whenever you find bones when you're doing construction, you've got to call somebody in to look into it. And they're looking at the bones. They're like, these are definitely Native American. Most of them were children. And since it was such a large number all in this area, they were thinking there had to be some kind of a disease or something that came through and wiped them out in a a huge group like this. That makes sense. So now you've got what happened with the Mitchell Clay family. We definitely have a Native American burial ground here. And now we have these six people who died. So there's a lot of people who are thinking, oh, I wonder if this place was cursed. And that's why you had the deaths at the amusement park going on. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, um, I, I don't remember exactly when Poltergeist came out or if Gaylord White was just a, a thinking man and, and went, you know, probably not a good idea to build homes on this graveyard. <laughs> Yeah, Poltergeist was 80s, like 84 or 86 or something. So maybe yeah. you're like, no thanks. So it, it, it's about that same time. So it, it could be. So he says, okay, well, why don't we open up another amusement park? <laughs> <laughs> so that's what they do. So they're going to open up another amusement park. So they go out and they start building some more rides, putting some more rides here. They put in a Ferris wheel. He and his sons go around and they find this swing ride and they're like, oh, that'll be perfect. Let's bring it on over. So they buy it. They bring it to the property. And lo and behold, when they look at the serial number on it, it was the swing ride that was from Lake Shawnee, the original one that the little girl was killed. on. I'm like, what "What are are the the chances? chances? Oh, my God. That's some supernatural (laughs) coincidence there. Yeah. So then what happens is on uh, July 4th in 1987, they open it up. And they only charged people a dollar admission to come in. Oh, wow. And Wouldn't it was a really, nice? yeah, it was really <laughs> popular. It had little kitty rides. They had live bands. It was just the thing. People just absolutely loved coming here. But unfortunately, you can imagine insurance rates, especially as we're coming into the 80s and stuff, just started skyrocketing. And when you're charging a dollar admission, it, you just, you're not making enough money. Yeah. So they were like, we're going to have to close the amusement park down. So uh, in the 1990s, they did do that. And then they started offering some historical tours. And then they decided to do some ghost tours because they had some strange things going on there, apparently. I would imagine if any place is going to have some hauntings, it would have to be this place. Scott, it checks all the boxes of the spooky. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I mean, you you know, anything that you would think would have to be connected to a haunting, this place has got. Mm -hmm. I encourage your listeners to Google Lake Shawnee and just look at some of the pictures of the abandoned rides and everything that are there because they've just left everything as it was and it's all overgrown. The land's taking it back and it just looks creepy and that's during the day. So I can't imagine being there at night doing investigations. The Discovery Channel decided that they wanted to go out there and film some investigating. So they're out there and one of the girls on their team, I don't know if she was inside the ticket booth and she was doing some investigating in there or whatever, but she gets locked in and she starts panicking. She cannot get out of there. And somehow she gets herself. Yeah, there you go. This is the swing ride that you're seeing on a lot of those pictures there. 
Oh, wow. So, yeah, if you're a Patreon, you can see these pictures. Another reason to join Patreon. Shameless plug. Exactly. You get oh, to see wow. our beautiful mugs, too. <laughs> so the that thing just- that says uh, Lake Shawnee there with the big sign on it, that little building, that's that would be the ticket booth there, I'm pretty sure. So this is what she's gotten herself locked into, and she can't get out. And she was trying to get out of there so hard that by the time they do get her out of there, they ended up having to take her to the hospital because she got injured trying to get out of there. Oh, but here's no. the crazy thing. There's no lock on that door. There was no way for her to be locked in. It's not like oh, there was a, no. a little keyhole or anything. So no. whatever had locked her in there was holding her in there and somehow holding that door shut. That is terrifying. Yeah. I can't imagine that. <laughs> Gaylord White, he saw the ghost of the what they think was the little girl who had died on the swings many times. He would see her out there either on the swings or he would be out there on a tractor. I don't know if he'd be mowing the grass or something, but as he's going along on the tractor, he would all of a sudden feel like something was, you know, like a presence around him. And then he would notice that the little girl was like standing behind him on the tractor. She might put her Aww. hand on his shoulder or something. And then finally, the one time she told him that she wanted him to stop the tractor, that she didn't want him to do it anymore. So he stopped the tractor right where it was. And to this day, that tractor's still where he stopped it that day. Oh, when wow. She asked him to do that. Good man for being, you know, like, all right, you can have it. <laughs> yeah. Um, they also have had, uh, they have security cameras that are out there. So they've caught video of the lap bars going up and down on the Ferris wheel. They've seen shadowy figures on the Ferris wheel. And here's what I always think is interesting when you hear about maybe a spirit who's sitting on a ride like that, because clearly the rides aren't moving anymore. Mm -hmm. Are are they sitting there going, yo, dude, can you start the ride up? What's going on? You know, (laughs) I paid my, my, my penny. I want the ride to go. I'm so bored. Somebody (laughs) make it move. (laughs) And I'm like, isn't that the definition of hell? You're just having to sit on a ride and it is never going and you can't get out. Yeah. Oh, that'd be awful. (laughs) Yeah. So that happens occasionally. And the thing that is probably the creepiest thing about this place also is pertaining to this little girl. Now you can imagine that the accident was pretty horrific. Mm -hmm. She does occasionally show up, not just in her ruffled dress, but also covered in blood, unfortunately. So I'm assuming she kind of looks like she did after the accident, which would not be something you'd want to see. And people will see her sitting on the swing ride, looking in that kind of a state. And uh, so I I would not want to see that for sure. No, that'd be very unsettling. This has been on uh, the Travel Channel's Most Terrifying Places, ABC Scariest Places has filmed here. They did that back in 2005. And it was so funny when they were filming in 2005, the crew said, we'll go out there and film during the day. But we're not going out there at night. There's no way. Smart. <laughs> I always love it when I hear people being like, nah, not today, Satan. <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, I talked about how there were people who drowned in the water and stuff. Well, there's a lot of people who would be in the water that would say it felt like somebody was pulling on them or touching them. So they're wondering if some of those people who drowned wasn't necessarily an accident, that maybe yeah. something had pulled them under the water. Oh, that's some nightmare fuel. I think about that every time I'm in water. I can't see the bottom. <laughs> Just something grabbing my leg. Yeah, I live in Florida. I don't go in any water that I can't see the bottom of. Oh, yeah. Gators. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I don't want an alligator to get me. 
And then I have a friend. Her name is Annie Weebs, and she is a paranormal investigator. She's gone out to Lake Shawnee many times, and she said she had one of the most profound experiences of her life out here. It was the first time she'd gone out there. She was out there with a group of people. They were going to stay overnight. And so they had set up their tents. So they were going to camp out there, which you could not pay me enough, I don't what? think, to do that. And she yeah. said they only had one source of electricity out there. So they had to plug like all of their equipment into this one thing. And they had all these electrical cords going everywhere. So she was standing out there with one of the guys and they were trying to get some stuff set up. And they see this figure that's walking towards them up the road. And she's thinking to herself, what is somebody doing out here at this time? You know, it's the middle of the night. It's we're out in the middle of nowhere. What are they doing? And then she sees this other car that's coming along and it's coming at a really good clip. And she's looking at the guy and she's like, uh, I don't think they're going to see that guy because he's wearing no reflective clothing. They could just basically see this shadowy figure that's moving. Mm-hmm. And she's like, he's going to get hit. So they both kind of cringe as they're seeing that this car's coming. The guy's on the side of the road. She, she's like, I just kind of, you know, looked through my fingers. I didn't want to see what was going to happen. And the car just keeps going and the figure's still walking down the road. So she's like, oh, thank God he didn't get hit. But man, he's crazy. And she thought, you know, what what is going on here? Well, there was a cluster of trees there and they see him walking towards the cluster of trees and then they're waiting to see him come past the cluster of trees and he never came past it. So she looks at the guy and she goes, you know, I wonder if people know that we're out here and they're trying to fool, fool around with us. You know, they're trying to be funny or something. Let's go see if we can find this guy, you know, hiding out in the cluster of trees. So the guy that was with her goes to one side. She goes to the other and they're looking all around and she's like, there was nobody in the cluster of trees. They look up the road this way. They look down the road that way. Absolutely nobody on the road. And she went, at that point, she's like, I had no doubt that we saw a spirit walking down that road. Because she goes, I know we saw somebody. We watched him for a long period of time. And then he just disappeared. And there was nowhere that anybody could go. Wow. And that's such a long time to see like a full body apparition. Absolutely. Yeah, so this place is uh, creepy AF, spooky yeah. AF, and uh, not, not a place I'd want to hang out at night for sure. And there's just so much bad blood there that I just, you know, mm, mm-hmm. no thanks. Wow, what a story. Why camp there? That seems so scary. Oh, I'm not brave enough. I don't think well, I and What's funny is so many people think that if you're going to see a ghost or have some kind of interaction with a spirit that it has to be at night. And every time you watch those ghost shows, they've always got their, you know, night vision cameras on and stuff. And it's like, you know what? Ghosts probably don't even know what time it is because they're outside of time. And yeah. they they don't care if it's day or night. They haunt you no matter what. <laughs> See, we can do ghost hunts during the day. Be less scary for us. <laughs> they can still do their jobs. <laughs> and I actually think it's better to do it with the lights on, which is more comfortable for me. Mm-hmm. Because I actually think they get more energy off of having the lights and stuff on than having that them makes off. Sense. Yeah, if they're pulling energy, if you don't have enough, maybe they don't have enough to do what they want to do. Exactly. <sighs> I'm a, I'm very, on one side, I want to see a ghost. On one other side, I would be very scared. So I don't know. <laughs> it's like, I think I want it, but I know once I had it, I'd be like, never mind. I'm sorry. Because you can't pick what kind of ghost you want. You don't know if you're going to get the friendly, you know just cute little kid or whatever you know or you're gonna get the demonic growl 
I no way to know. <laughs> that is very true. I've always said because I've never seen one, and I'm like, I don't know what I would do if I saw one. I don't know if I'd be like, oh, that was really cool, or if I would pee my pants. I just don't know. <laughs> well, my really good friend growing up, she lived in the house in the middle of nowhere in this tiny town in Arkansas, and that area was Native American land too. So that was always the like. They had so much hauntings in her house. You're like, maybe this was Indian burial ground. Because like you said, that's what everybody says. But like her mom was taking a bath one time and she said she saw somebody in full like a headdress walk down their hallway. And then she's like, nope. And then one time I stayed the night with her, there was this creepy basement. And I never wanted to go in there because it just creeped me out. But the door was cracked and her fridge was right next to the door. And all I heard was Kina get out. And I was like, well, that's rude. So I went and I was like, why is your mom yelling at me to get out? And she's like, uh, mom went to work two hours ago. And I was like, see ya. Oh my <laughs> and God. I never went back. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, I learned my lesson. If you tell me get out, I'm listening. I'm never, never going back. That's amazing because it knew your name. Yeah. Because I was there all the time and like really creepy stuff would happen. Like uh, cabinets would open a little bit, but the house was old. So if somebody was walking, maybe it was making it move. But sometimes you would hear creaking that sounded like somebody walking down the hallway. And I'd be like, mm, I don't like that. And I think at one time I woke off my or woke up, my necklace was taken off and sitting next to me. And I was like, how did that happen? Because I'm a light sweeper. But I convinced myself they were trying to trick me. But after that, I'm like, nope, it was all ghosts. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It would be hard to take somebody's necklace off and not have them wake up if they're a light sleeper. Yeah, it was crazy. They still live there and they're like, yeah, stuff still happens. But I think at one point they were like, we're not going anywhere. You're not scaring us. Please stop. And I guess it did. But I'm not going to yell at a ghost. <laughs> I don't want to make them mad. Yeah, I'm not pissing them <laughs> off. Yeah. That was one of the things when we were looking for a house in Texas, everywhere we went. I was like, is that an orb or is that dust? <laughs> and my husband's like, what does it matter? I'm like, do I need a Swiffer or do I need Sage? I need to know these things. He's like, you're ridiculous. I'm like, yeah. So far, so good. We've got two years in. I don't think the house is haunted. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure something would have made itself known by this point. <laughs> good time. Hello, friends. It's that time again where I talk about how much I love modern fertility. <laughs> Are you a uterus haver in your 20s or 30s? Are you wanting to have kids in the next five years? Are you trying to get pregnant right now? Are you considering freezing your eggs for future you problems? Perhaps you're just wondering about your hormones and curious if they're imbalanced. If you answered yes to any of these things, then you are going to love modern fertility as much as I do. I've mentioned in the past that I did modern fertility and it was so incredibly easy. They send you a packet. They have it in written instructions and video and you just drop a little blood on this card thingamajig and you mail it in and I got my results in less than 10 days and I printed out my little packet thing showed up at my endocrinologist and I was like here help me and boom I was diagnosed with PCOS like that day it was insane because like one in 10 women have PCOS so it's sadly incredibly common hormone tests are pricey if you don't have insurance they're going to be over $1,500 but with modern fertility it's just $159 and like I said it's super easy it comes to your home you don't even have to wear pants what else can you ask for and if you have an FSA or an HSA which is incredibly hard to say for some reason <laughs> they also accept that so if you want 
$10 off your Modern Fertility test. Go to modernfertility.com slash historical AF. Again, that is modernfertility.com slash historical AF. Hi, I'm Howard Dory. And I'm Jess Dory. And we're the hosts of the Plotting Through the Presidents podcast, where we take deep, irreverent dives into lesser-known stories about the early American presidents. We dig into things like, how did Thomas Jefferson really break his wrist in Paris during his scandalous relationship with Mariah Cosway? How did Margaret Eaton's sex life bring down Andrew Jackson's entire cabinet? Did John Quincy Adams really believe in mole people? Spoiler alert, no, he did not. Why did Alexander Hamilton hate John Adams so much? So much. So, so much hate. We explore myths. Mysteries. Scandals. And a dash of murder. Murder. This season, we're having a blast digging into even more stories about the founders and their families. And some of the people they enslaved. Binge listen to all of season one and join us for season two right now. Subscribe to Plotting Through the Presidents wherever you listen to podcasts. You're going to just want to murder that subscribe button. Like right now. Do it. Like right now. Kill it. (laughs) All right. So we're going to do some super weird theme parks but first i'm going to do a little bit of history because i can't help myself (laughs) the amusement park actually evolved from three traditions you have the traveling and periodic fairs pleasure gardens and then exhibitions like the world fairs the oldest of the ye old periodic fair was in the middle ages in bartholomew fair in england in 1133 that is so long ago it was a long way back And then by the 18th and 19th centuries, they had evolved into places of entertainment for the masses where the public could go view freak shows, acrobatics, conjurings, and juggling. (sighs) History. We have a a museum here that has a Ripley's type exhibit for freak shows. It's really interesting, but still just really sad. Yeah, it is kind of tough when you think about it. We did a four-part miniseries on the circus, and we talked a little bit about freak shows. And one of the positive aspects of it is that they actually became really wealthy most of the time and were well, mm-hmm. really well known. So, you know, it, it, on one side, it's like you're putting people on display so that we can gawk at them. Mm-hmm. But on the other side, they were getting a lot of benefit from it, too. So mm-hmm. I get kind of torn on the freak show thing because, you know, if you can look over the one, it, it was very positive for some of these people who normally would have probably been put in the asylums that we were talking about earlier because yeah. their family didn't want them anymore. Yeah, or just live a life of isolation somewhere or abuse. It's all sad. Yeah. I don't, well, some days I'm like, oh, it'd be cool to be in history. And then some days I'm like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> it was all really sad. From it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And they also had competitions, and then they could walk through menageries. The wave of innovation of the 1860s and 70s led to mechanical rides like the steam-powered carousels. They're just so cute. And then a lot of spinoffs. But I can imagine those were also not very safe. Like steam ones. Something like blow a gasket. (laughs) (laughs) No, thanks. (laughs) This created the era of modern funfair rides as the working classes were increasingly able to spend their spare money on entertainment. The second tradition was the pleasure garden. And one of the earliest is the Vauxhall Gardens founded in 1661 in London. By the late 18th century, the site had an admission fee for its attractions and it drew a large crowd and it had paths that were noted for romantic walks, tightrope walkers, hot air balloons. And then they had concerts and fireworks. That would be something to see tightrope walkers just 
casually. Uh, especially back then, because I mean, they <laughs> most of them did it without safety nets and things like that. <gasps> Do it between I, buildings and yeah, I would have such anxiety. <laughs> and they had public fireworks displays, and they also had music, dancing, and animal acrobatic displays. Early amusement parks in the United States began as like a gardeny picnic ground that was a place for working men to relax after work. And if you were lucky and they were feeling generous, they might actually bring you and their families. It was very inexpensive. It had entertainment and food. And this kind of led to the third tradition, World's Fairs. And then you had the 1893 Chicago World's Exposition, and it became a model for amusement parks. It had shows, rides, concessions, and it drew greater crowds. And this also introduced the famous George Ferris Giant. That's a hard word to say. George Ferris Giant Wheel. That's right. And it was 4 million pounds, and it was 264 feet high. It makes you wonder back then, how in the world did they put that together? It's wild because the World's Fair is also why they built the Eiffel Tower. And I mean, that thing's enormous. That's why I didn't want to go in it because it wasn't meant to last. It was supposed to just go up for the World's Fair and come down. And so I'm like, if they built it that fast to just be like, get it up there. I'm like, let's, let's say it's not going to just topple down one of these days. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's no longevity there. But yeah, that must have been quite the sight to see. I don't think there was anything quite like that in the world. I think that's also the Chicago World Fair. That's where H.H. H. Holmes was murdered. I was people. just going to say, H.H. <laughs> Holmes was part of that. <laughs> There's a house in my town that I, I want to buy to turn into a bed and breakfast. And the husband and wife that built it met at that World's Fair. I'm like, what is the chances? Wow. Like, I wonder if they saw him. <laughs> you didn't stay they- in a really weird hotel when you were there, did you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Run! In the 1880s, Coney Island began to rise as an amusement park, and they had the Steeplechase Park, and it featured a changing array of attractions, and it became more successful by appealing to people's quest for novelties. Again, this is when people started having actual money and time off from work. And then Dreamland Park offered dramatic spectacles and entertainment along with rides and thrills. And they also had the sideshows, freak shows, And, of course, those were featuring people with unusual abilities or abnormal features. And this was known as the Golden Age of Amusement Parks, and it sparked a arrival of kitty parks, which I found out was founded in 1925 in San Antonio, Texas. So just go. And then after World War II, they were popping up all over the country. And this was also the era that roller coasters were invented to include extreme drops and speeds to thrill the riders. Again, I can't imagine early roller coasters. No, thank you. And then the first theme park in the United States was Santa Land. Hmm. And I know I just said that Coney Island was the first amusement park, but technically there's a difference. Because Google told me, an amusement park is a park that features various attractions, such as rides, games, and other entertainment things like concerts but a theme park is an amusement park that bases its structures and attraction around a central theme so oh i guess that's why they say the disney parks are theme parks not amusement yeah. parks. <laughs> theme parks are amusement parks but amusement parks aren't theme parks it's yes. one of those mind trippy things sure yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so back to santa originally called santa fe the town of santa claus indiana was still like Selected its new name in the 1850s. So apparently the USPS refused to grant them a post office because there was another town in Indiana named Santa Fe. So the residents got together and they picked Santa Claus as their new town name. 
<laughs> Didn't say why, but <laughs> that's interesting. Instead of Santa Fe, let's go with Santa Claus. Yeah. Like, it, there's a lot of Santa something that you could have had. It's true, especially Indiana. I'm like, it's not that cold and in Indi- I mean you get <laughs> they have seasons, but I would imagine somewhere super cold would want to pick that, but nope. And because it's the only post office named Santa Claus, they get a lot of letters from children. So that's just adorable. So in the early 1940s, industrialist Louis J. Coach of Evansville, Indiana, bought 260 acres to create an amusement park with the Santa Claus theme. It (laughs) opened in 1946, and it offered this dreamy alpine village with a toy shop. It had rides, and then it had a daily appearance from Santa himself. It just sounds really adorable. Yeah, nice. So Jim Yelling portrayed St. Nick for four decades. Like, that's one dude. That's insane. How tired must he have been? (laughs) His lap was really used. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure he's like a treasure. He's probably gotten all the honorary things you can get in that town. (laughs) Just so cute. And the park has thrived from the 1950s until today. It is still open. Wow. Who who knew? But now it's known as Holiday World. And they've added Fourth of July and Halloween. So oh, very cool. Holidays. Yeah. In 1993, they added a water park called Splash and Safari, and they've added several wooden roller coasters. And they just recently, well, I guess it's not recent anymore, 2006. I keep on thinking that's recent, but it's not. Ah, <laughs> oh, yay, getting older. They added Thanksgiving themes to the world. So I wonder what that is, like a gobble roller coaster. That'd be fun. Yeah, I don't know. Chase the turkey. See if you catch one. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, my hometown. This is horrible. So one of the main events for, I think it's Yaleville. I think it's Yaleville. Yaleville or Flippin'. One of those. The biggest event is on Thanksgiving and they throw live turkeys out of an airplane because turkeys can fly most of the time and then people catch their turkey to eat it. But this has been the thing they do every year for like ever. And it's just traumatic because a lot of them don't make it and they smack into things and it is awful. Who came up with this idea? I have to wonder. I don't know. Some weird hillbillies. <laughs> I guess. Although I know the guy that flies the plane. He's one of my friend's uncles. But I'm like, this is just weird. And like every year PETA is like, don't do that. And they're like, yeah, we're going to do it anyway. It's just, it's a lot. So when I think of Thanksgiving theme things, that's where my brain goes. And I'm traumatized all over again. Yeah, that would do it for me too. I, I don't blame you. It's called turkey trot. <laughs> Oh, my God. It's not like the race where everybody's doing a 5K. No. I mean, they do have a 5K, too. Like, before they throw the turkeys out. Yeah, please tell me they don't throw the people out of the plane. Let's see if you can fly and then run. Oh, God. My childhood was a trip. I'll tell you. (laughs) And then some theme parks evolved from the traditional amusement parks like Knott's Berry Farm in the 1920s. And I didn't know this. I've heard of that theme park. But it began because they had a fried chicken restaurant and the lines were so long outside, he decided to entertain the waiting crowds. And so they built this ghost town in 1940. And then it just kind of turned from there into an amusement park. They just kept on adding and adding and adding. I uh, was born in California and I used to love going to Knott's Berry Farm. And during this time of the year, they would call it Knott's Scary Farm. And Elvira was out there for 20 years. She would do a stage show. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think she just retired it two or three years ago. That's amazing. Oh, that'd be so cool to see. 
You yeah. get Elvira and I get turkeys thrown out of a, a airplane. <laughs> yeah. Not all childhoods are the same. <laughs> no. Oh, man. And so in 1968, Knott's family fenced the farm, charged admission for the first time, and it became an amusement park. That's very sweet and wholesome. I've never been there, but I, I've always heard wonderful things about it. Yeah, it's kind of the, you know, bastard stepsister to Disney and Universal being out there. But I always liked it because it had more of a hometown kind of feel to it. Just like yeah. having the origins with the chicken and everything like that. It's It was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I grew up near Silver Dollar City. So I always liked oh. that really wholesome, fun you know, amusement park. It's like I took my husband for the first time and... It has like real rides now. So the only thing that was really there when I was a kid was this thing called Fire in the Hole. And it was just this weird track and you're going through a town and it's on fire for some reason. And there's like this one scene where a guy's hanging out the window with no pants on and his wife's like, get in here, put your pants on, Bobby or whatever. And <laughs> and then eventually it's like fire trucks and stuff. And then you go down and you yell fire in the hole and then you get splashed. And I kept talking about it. I'm like, yeah, just growing up, this was the ride. You got to throw your arms up and blah, blah. And we did. And he's like, this was the best thing of your childhood. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was so cool when I was little. And then they have like real legit roller coasters now that are like really nice. They have, I think, one of the biggest wooden ones in the world now. We were like, it was really it. cool. <laughs> uh, we went to Branson, I think it was probably about maybe eight or nine years ago, and we went to Silver Dollar City, and I was, I'd never heard of it, so I thought it was really neat, and I had no idea that the Flying Walindas, they had a stage show there. Oh, yeah. And that was the same year that um, he went across the Grand Canyon on TV. He had just, oh. he was doing it like the week we were there, so he wasn't there to be part of the show, and we just missed him coming the following day. They did like a big parade, and thing for him because he did it so i was oh, like oh cool that's fun yeah i love silver Dollar city it's got that really fun like old timey you can dip candles or watch them do woodworking love it every every school trip was basically silver Dollar city so <laughs> good times so we can't talk about theme tar- parks without talking about disney but i'm not going to go into it because i think one of us is eventually going to talk about disney in this theme so Basically, in the 20s, Disney is everywhere. Everybody loves it. So in 1951, Walt Disney creates WED with the objective to create a theme park that captures the magic of the Disney experience. And so for years, he actually visited many amusement parks around the country, conducting research and then figuring out what he wanted and what he didn't. There wasn't a list of what he was copying or where he found inspiration, but I would have liked to know what, what sparked the Disney vision. Alas, it is not available on the internet. And then I did not know this. He actually obtained funding for this project from ABC. It was like a trade-off. And he agreed to produce a weekly television show that introduced his dream project to the baby boom generation and their parents. And it opened in 1955. And I didn't know this either, but it was a record-breaking live broadcast on television. Oh, no, I'm not surprised. The first day had some problems. There was uh, one ride stopped because of an electric overload. And then there was a gas leak (laughs) that closed Fantasyland. (laughs) I just can't imagine the panic of being like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) We got to go, guys. But it actually drew one million visitors in the first 10 weeks. So that's very impressive. You know, the other really bad thing that happened that day is that they had just put the uh, pavement down. 
and it hadn't had time to dry yet. So women are walking through there in their high heels and their shoes were getting stuck in the street. And they just oh, were leaving no. their shoes in the street because they couldn't get them back out again. Oh, no. <laughs> That's crazy. So in the beginning, they did the financial model of an emission fee. And then you had to pay separate to have ride tickets. And then soon it moved to the semi-inclusive price of $2.50 that it allowed eight rides. Can you even imagine Disney uh, for $2? <laughs> Just, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> we spent so much money. <laughs> And we even got a discount for being military, and it's still like an arm and a leg, but worth it. Drunk adult Disney was the best time I've ever had. (laughs) (laughs) Drink around Epcot. Yes. Oh, yes. Everywhere we went, there was like margaritas. We're like, yes, please. (laughs) It was fantastic. Highly recommend for honeymoons. But the first to actually introduce the fully inclusive price model was Six Flags. And I actually learned this moving here. So on August 1st, 1961, Six Flags Over Texas was a creation of an oil man and a developer, Angus Wynn Jr. And the first one opened in Arlington and it focused on the theme of Texas history. So they started out with the all-inclusive price model. So that included your admission and all the attractions. And then you only had to pay for food and souvenirs. And each section of the park focused on one of the six cultures that shaped the state. So the Six Flags are... France, Spain, Mexico, the Confederacy, the Republic of Texas, and the United States. I did not know that till I moved here, that that was what Six Flags meant, and I felt so stupid. <laughs> you know what, though? I didn't know that until I did, like, a This Day in History, and it was the opening of Six Flags over Texas, and I did not know until I was researching that, that that's why it was called Six Flags, is because that had been <laughs> under Six Flags at some point. That makes so much sense. I don't know why it did not click. <laughs> Yeah, well, I never thought about why do they call it six flags? I guess I just thought maybe it was six different colored flags they like to put above it. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. And so the rides and attractions were meant to reflect Texas's like unique heritage and agriculture industry and being a melting pot of Southern and Spanish culture. And then another theme park in San Antonio was SeaWorld. So I didn't know the San Antonio one was the first one. So that's fun. That's interesting. I didn't know that either. But it opened in 1981. Hmm. And this was also kind of that oomph that the industry needed. So this reinvigorated the whole amusement park idea. And then after SeaWorld became such a big thing, they started building Universal, Legoland, Disney World, uh, Wild Kingdom, which is the biggest theme park in the world. And things like Nickelodeon Universe, Islands of Adventure, Fiesta Texas, and a whole lot more. But uh, that's why in the 80s and 90s, there was a huge, huge rush of these. (sighs) All right. So let's get weird. (laughs) so weird when i was perusing just weird theme parks i found myself in denmark and boy did denmark deliver (laughs) i was giggling so loud that zeke walked in here he's like what are you reading and i I told him and he just looked at me speechless and just walked away and he's like i did not expect that (laughs) it's always great when i can get a good uh, reaction on him so i present you bon bon land in home Denmark, I'm going to butcher this, and I'm so sorry. Do you yeah, know I don't know Danish, so you can say it however you want, and I'll just be okay. like, okay. Oh. <laughs> so this amusement park has it all. There's wall-to-wall farting dogs, puking rats, cows with exposed breasts, and oh peeing ants. <laughs> what? Do people pay to go see this? <laughs> yes, it's fun for the whole family. It's. <laughs> oh, I'm going to show you so many videos and photos here in a second. It's 
I can't even give it justice. It's amazing. So in Denmark on the island of Zealand, a 45 minute away from like Copenhagen, I think that's probably the one place we all recognize. Yeah. Lies what some might call disgusting, while others might say magical, <laughs> world every family should experience. It began as Bon Bon, a candy factory in Home Olstrup in the 1930s. But because of World War II, the resources for chocolate were very scarce, so they switched over to hard candies. And then in the 80s, chocolatier Michael Sponsberg took over and he got really excited and he's like, I'm going to make some new candy. Like my little spin on it, I'm gonna name it, it's going to be awesome. So he made this new brown sweet <laughs> and he showed it to his kid and his kid said, quote, yuck, they look like dog farts. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know they looked like something, but I, I know. <laughs> And so Michael wasn't deterred at all. He actually leaned into it and he named the treats Hunter Pruter, which means dog farts. Okay, that starts to explain a lot. Yeah, things are starting to make sense. <laughs> and, and then he's like, well, if I'm ready, just fresh out of the gate with dog farts, why not just go all in? So he made the, oh God, Mogul Lotter, which is seagull droppings. The store bobster, which means big boobies. <laughs> I wonder what those look like. The Tisa Blair, which means wee wee nappies. <laughs> the Ori box, which means earwax. And of course, the famous Hunter Pruder dog farts, ant piss, and ape snot. So wonderful. This is just naturally, children just couldn't resist. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and these became so outrageously popular and their sales just shot through the roof at rocket speed. And he was labeled Denmark's Willy Wonka. <laughs> I love and this and you're thinking so in your mind, you know how Harry Potter has the Bernie beans or bots yeah. or whatever those things are. And they actually do taste like the things that they're named for. It's like, God, I, I hope these don't have any kind of flavor like what you're <laughs> describing. Too. Uh, I tried I watched the commercials but they were they were not in English so I didn't understand them but they were really <laughs> funny <laughs> I think they're good everything I was reading in English was like oh they're actually tasty they just named really wild stuff <laughs> so the sweets were so well received that people over Denmark began sending in their own ideas for funny names so he kind of like upped the ante for the factory when the following year, it became known as a town with a theme park with the best and craziest rides. And due to the sweets popularity, school children and nurseries were like asking if they could come into the factory and see how everything's made. But their hygiene requirements there are way higher than the U.S., I guess, because we were allowed to travel chocolate factories. But um, they're not. So he was like, I'm just going to open up Bon Bon Land. It's going to have a sweet shop. It's going to have a workshop. And then... He's going to have like sections where kids can make their own lollipops and stuff. So kind of like Silver Dollar City. So everybody can make their own sweets and stuff. So that opens in 1992. So Bon Bon Land theme park, which eventually housed dozens of rides and characters with naughty names and personalities, were paired with their candy equivalent. So this is going to get really great, guys. I can't <laughs> wait to show Okay, so it was 130,000 M2, which... I assumed was acres. I was right. So that's 32.124 acres is this theme park. So that's pretty decent. It's not, yeah. not like Shawnee, but it's pretty decent. Yeah. 
And then every year, more than 60 tons. Oh, that has an E on it. So European spelling. 60 tons of chips, 130,000 soft ices, and 80,000 hot dogs are sold in the park. That's That's a a lot of hot dogs. (laughs) And if you were to put all the hot dog sausages sold every season in a row, they would measure 25 kilometers in length. 15.5 miles. That's a lot of hot dogs. So it quickly exploded into a 32-acre carnival of farting, defecating, urinating character sculptures, many of whom are exposing large breasts with erect nipples, which is a sentence I never thought I would say. (laughs) It's a perfect kitty park. (laughs) That's my next sentence. How can this be family friendly? Of course, you know, in Europe, they're a little less uh, prude about things than we are here in America. The Danish get it. <laughs> Immature people of all ages just want to goof off in a land filled with dirty cartoon animals and amplified fart sounds. <laughs> and I am here for it. Oh my God, they have the sounds too. They do. We're going to listen. It's going to be amazing. So, displayed across the grounds, you will find a sewer rat who seems to be projectile vomiting urine. That doesn't seem normal to me. I mean, I could understand vomit, but why? Anywho, there's seagulls defecating into an alligator's mouth. And then they have the voluptuous bovine breasts aplenty. So she's all over the place. And besides all the animals that are excreting fluids and bearing their ample bosoms, you'll discover that most of the characters are actually really drunk. (laughs) (laughs) I bet they are. And And whoever made them probably was too. It's true. Oh. I love this. And many of the animals resemble Disney characters, but like a twisted perversion version like of it. So you can tell that they were trying to kind of copy it. And the park offers age-appropriate attractions as long as the whole family is keen on potty humor. And a lot of the rides are 18 plus, so in case you want to go. Because the older ones have a lot of, you know, exhibitionalism and they're flinging stuff at you. Great. I wonder what stuff they're flinging at you. (laughs) Located dead center of the park is the dog fart switchback. The, okay, I practiced this one and I've already forgotten the Hunder Pruder choose something bang. That's, we'll just leave it that. Close enough. (laughs) Although this isn't the most high powered roller coaster, it's by far the most popular. Riders soar and glide over mounds of dog excrement while amplified fart sounds boom from giant humiliated dog lifting his leg so like the dog farts and then he's embarrassed he's all blushed like whoops (laughs) okay now i've never seen a dog get embarrassed by their fart i've seen them like go after their own butt like what just happened yeah mine does that too he always looks at it like what who is that that wasn't me (laughs) oh Man, so Henry the Farting Dog is actually the mascot of the park, and you can actually buy souvenirs of his likeness in the gift shop. <laughs> Fabulous. All right, so now I'm going to show you guys. Okay. There she is. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Whoa. Holy cow, and she's like holding them. <laughs> yes, and there's the ape snot, and I'll have pictures of all this on the social media. Oh, my God. For those of you who are <laughs> Patreon. Oh, wow. Yeah. So She's at the groups. saloon. <laughs> Think she works at night, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> oh, this is so weird. <laughs> wow. There oh, there's more. 
I can tell you, I never knew that cows were so, um, you know, endowed, I guess. I know, me either. I really had <laughs> no idea. Some monkey picking his nose. Yeah. Toileteer. I'd be afraid to go into their bathrooms there. God only knows what's in there. Oh, oh that's <laughs> a pig a la Marilyn Monroe. A peeing ant. And he's, I'm not sure what he's, he looked like he was peeing out of a tail. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure what's happening in most of this. <laughs> that turtle looks like he wants to barf. Yeah, it's. Oops. Yeah, he looks a little ill. He's got a mohawk, though. That's very cool. A dragon. And there's more pigs oh, with their booties out. Pig butt. <laughs> and she looks like she's pretty well endowed in the front there, too. Yes. And the last little thing here that about killed me about the farting dog is that there is actually a reggae song that what? accompanies. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Un momento, I have it. <laughs> uh, it's just like the gift that just keeps giving. <laughs> and what's crazier, people pay to go in there apparently, and they love it. Yes. In the random farting just got me. <laughs> And I love the picture that I don't know if that's the cover of the record where you've got the uh, the um, I, I usually it's a green haze. That's more of a brown haze floating towards the microphone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so there's other high speed rides like the Tomcat, the Wild Boar. The last one was voted Denmark's best roller coaster in 2003. And it's a leader as far as sheer speed and G-force, taking passengers up to 97 degree ascents and then topping over 45 miles per hour. So that sounds terrifying. Yeah, no. No, thank you. I'll pass on that. And it was also the first roller coaster in the world to have an introspective first drop. So that was fun. And other attractions at the park have irresistible names like the worm, the stud, seagull blobs, horse bulbs. Fold cod, fold cod, crow trees, the horse droppings, the crazy turtle, skid mark, fever rafting, dunce cap, and rubbish dump. Yeah, I think I want to go ride the skid mark next. (laughs) (laughs) Wonder what that's like. (laughs) They have a water ride called the Water Rat, and the largest rafting track in Scandinavia is the Beaver Rafting. So that's that's fun. Oh man, I love Europe. Just. It's amazing. Oh, and it's just fun. Like, you know, kids love cru- like crude humor. I know I grew up on Ren and Stimpy and that was. Oh, yes. Really <laughs> so. Yes. One of my favorites. Oh, I loved it so much. Yeah, so I'm like, this is not on long it. enough. Oh, definitely not. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Yeah, I was a big mm-hmm. fan. It was like the fa- I have such a weird family. We'd all watch it together. It's family. And the Simpsons. Like we're dysfunctional. Well, that, that's pretty cool though that they would do that. I, my mom would be like, "What is this?" <laughs> yeah, my mom and dad had their own like sick sense of humor too, so I was very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Man, well, thank you so much for joining me. This was so much fun. Well, thank you for asking me, Keena. I've had a blast. Yeah. So tell everybody how they can find your podcast. 
the name of it is History Goes Bump. So if you put that into any search engine or podcast app or whatever you listen on, you will find it. We're at historygoesbump.com. You'll, if you go there, you'll be able to find out everything you want to know about us. Awesome. Highly recommend it. I love it. I know you guys like the spooky. So I would definitely go check them out. Well, this is <laughs> a really works. cool setup you do for your Patreon people. I think that's a neat, neat thing for them. Thank you. I really love it. I, I think it really increases the energy just having the comments because they're so funny so i really enjoy just being able to talk to them the whole way and it's i get to know you better too because it's like you're actually talking to them in real time yeah yeah and of course i always cut out probably like half the episode before it goes up so they get to see all the behind the scenes and the bloopers and the me not being able to english (laughs) you mean you're not perfect and a professional Oh, not at all. Our tagline pretty much is words are hard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. When I first started the podcast, the hate we would get for that, like, you you know, if you mispronounce something, it's like, especially when people are from a certain area, it's like, oh, my God, give us a break. (laughs) That's why I always apologize. I'm like, please don't yell at me, but I'm trying. Like, I'm just a hillbilly from Arkansas, you know, (laughs) doing my best. Uh, I did hooked on phonics. If it's not if it's not phonetical, then I don't know. I'm just sounding it out. That's what my teachers kept beating me about, you know. Sound like there's there's some towns. So like here, there's a town that's B-O-E-R-N-E, and it looks like born, but it's Bernie. And I'm like, nobody would know that unless you're from here. So I'm like, you gotta give us a break. Oh, the best just- one we did is we did a, a town in Europe that's called Darby, but it's spelled Derby. So through the oh. whole episode, we kept calling it Derby because if you're E-R-B-Y, that's what I'm going to say. Yeah. So we got all these letters about it's Darby, it's Darby. And I'm like, then you're supposed to spell with an A, not an E. What's wrong with you <laughs> Europeans? Yeah, most of the time, I, the emails have always been very nice. And I'm like, I'm, that's why I apologize before I start speaking. You guys should know by now that I oh, I try. <laughs> <laughs> and even like I look things up and then by the time it comes time to record, I'm like, I already forgot. It's, well, uh, and then sometimes you get like this person pronounces it this way and then this person pronounces it that way. And it's like, well, which one is it? Okay, I'll, I'll just guess. Yeah, I did Malta one time and there was no pronunciation like guides anywhere there was no phonetic spelling for because i was doing cryptids like monsters and nobody okay. had, nobody had pronounced those on the internet so i was really trying i was struggling <laughs> I was like, please don't hate me <laughs> i mean the best and like some words just the accent just it butchers it and I, I try but anything that revolves rolling r's is just going to come out very hillbilly I do my oh. best that does happen get with it. accents. Southern. Well, thank you so much. It's so great meeting you officially. I'm yes. a huge fan of your podcast. I love it. Oh, thank you. Well, you have a great uh, weekend. You too. You too. I want to thank Diane again from History Goes Bump Podcast for joining me for this episode. I had such an amazing time and was so excited to finally meet her. If you would like to join Patreon and watch these live and comment along with us, that's patreon.com slash historical AF pod. If you'd like to email me a story for an extra or just, you know, email me, that's historical AF pod at gmail.com. If you'd like to look at merch, that is shop.spreadshirt.com slash historical AF pod. And definitely check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
And that is Historical AF Pod. And if there's ever discounts or free shipping and the such on merch, you will find that there. And if you just want to go to one place and see everything, that's historicalafpodcast.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll see you next week. I'm going to be joined by Robin for Theme Parks Part 2. Okay, bye!